0: a seat ushers are going to come forward let's give out how God has given to us Uh, and you also should have gotten a a white paper that talks about kickoff next week Uh, we need some help serving the meal and this is an area where you can get involved making a difference because who wants more tri-tip like everybody Uh, and it's going to take a lot of hands to make next week awesome and all those hands are already here I'm excited about that Uh, you can do what it says on the screen and uh, we'd love to get you connected getting involved with next week's meal So uh, starting today and for the next three months, we're going to be going through the book of Luke, which is uh, part of the Bible. It was written by a doctor who was commissioned by a wealthy guy to figure out everything there was to figure out about Jesus. So this guy, Theophilus, sends Luke to go do tons of interviews, tons of eyewitness accounts of who actually knew Jesus, the things that are written in here. They experienced them. and so Luke, as a doctor, as a guy who cares about details, but hopefully can write better than doctors do today, uh, writes down everything so that people can be sure about who Jesus is. So we're going to look at a bunch of these stories about Jesus from the idea of we're also there. So in everything, whether it's Jesus uh, around a bunch of people, Jesus on a boat, today it's Jesus in the desert, what if we were there too? And that's the question that we're asking. So you can see it from the art, it's the idea of, of one of us actually being there, seeing everything that's happening and how that impacts and directs us. And what we're starting with today, even, if it, even though it is the Bible, it's something that affects absolutely everybody's life. Because you could be here and the Bible is a spiritual thing and, and you're not, you don't know if you're into that yet. You're just here checking out uh, what Christianity is, what a church is, what we believe, how we're going to treat you. Uh, this could be your first time back in a long time. But for all of us, temptation and how we respond to that, which is what we're talking about today, shaped in a large part how we got here today. The things that we've said yes to that we probably should have said no to, the things that we said no to that we should have said yes to, those things spun out over time in all of our lives, got us where we are today. So much of who we are and how we got here today are based on temptation. Like, that's just honest. Like, you look at your life and you're like, yes, I got here today because a million years ago I made this decision. And, you know, it's the butterfly effect through our life that got us here where we are now. And what we're, looking at, what we're going to look at today is the simplicity of temptation. Because temptation comes down to two things. And if you like fishing, then this is totally for you. It is bait and a hook. Like, that's all that it is. If we're going to boil down every tough decision that we have to make and every urge inside of us that says, nobody's here, you should totally do that thing, they'll never find out. All it is is bait and a hook. Fishing comes down to bait And a hook. And so that's what temptation is. And the thing, the good news for us, the hope for us, like the the reassurance today, is we all know it doesn't even have to be good bait to get us hooked. It doesn't have to be a good thing that like, we're like, man, this is just too good. I cannot pass this up because sometimes we make bad decisions. Sometimes death and darkness and horrible things come into our lives and sometimes it's our fault. So today we are a million percent off the hook because all temptation is is a bait and a hook. And so you look at other people and like, man, your life is a disaster because you fell into temptation. All it was for them is a bait and a hook. And all it is for you and all the areas that you and I have fallen into disaster was a bait and a hook. So we're in this pathetically together. How it works, though, spiritually, though, is a lot different. I mean, it's deeper. It's darker. It's, it's, the, sc- it's the scars. It's the, the memories that we wish we could forget. But if we look at this spiritually, we see two characters. The first of those is Jesus. Okay, Jesus, as we're going to look at him in the story, you know, like we're there and stuff. Jesus understands our weaknesses he faced all the same testings that we do, yet he did not sin. That's a direct quote from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Uh, it's, it's a book written about the life of Jesus from about 20 years after Jesus, telling people he really is God and he is worth following. One of the reasons that Jesus is worth following is because he understands our weaknesses. He understands our bait. He understands the pain, the effect that the hook has on our life. The only difference between us and him was he never sinned. And so Jesus identifies with us in our weakness and he identifies with us in our weakness, not as just somebody who's going to come and put their arm around you and said, yeah, I made the same mistakes too, but to say, I, I, I have forgiveness for you. I have mercy for you. I have new life for you. And I have a way that you can live with me and not sin anymore. And that's not an elitist statement. Jesus doesn't say these things about himself and and write the Bible in in such a way that we look at Jesus and we say, Jesus never, ever sinned, and I could never be like that. Or even say, Jesus never, ever sinned, and so I have to do all these things if I'm going to be like him. Instead, it, it brings us to and it opens our eyes to the fact that it's the opposite. Jesus, who understands our weaknesses, he's equal with God. He has no reason to leave the perfect, the, like the absolute perfect existence of heaven to come live like you and me. To come live in a body and a world surrounded and built up and lived out in weakness. He has no reason to, except that he wants to bring us into a relationship with God the Father through him. So that gives him every reason to, because there are people like me who all we see is the bait. Sometimes we never see the hook. And so Jesus, in his humility, in his God-like compassion and love for every single one of us, says, I see them. I understand them. I understand their weakness. And I want to bring them into the relationship with God the Father by living a perfect life to die in our place So, we could have a relationship with God. Jesus is the first character that we're gonna see in this. He is the good character. And just like every movie that's good, there's a good guy and there's also a bad guy. And in this, the bad guy is the devil. Just like Jesus, he understands our weakness, but he exploits them for our destruction. Right? What's temptation? It's two things it's a bait and a hook. And his job, what he wants to do is to lead us into a place where he has stolen our life, he has killed us, and he has destroyed everything that's good in our life, which means that there's a hook that has to get hidden really, really well. And all of us have different different hiding things in our life to hide the hook. We have different bait in our lives. It could be status. You want, an, you want a promotion at work. You want to make more money. You want a, a different car. You want to live in a different zip code. You want all these things. You want more, more, more. It could be security. You want a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a husband, and a wife. You want kids. You, you want whatever it is. Maybe you want your kids to no longer be around you. Just like move out already and stop doing the boomerang thing. Like get out and leave. But we've all got a bait. And what the devil wants to do is he wants to hide the hook the best way that he can so that no one sees the hook. Sin, that's doing anything differently than the way that God would say it. We sin against ourselves. We sin against God. We sin against other people. It always leads to death. And the reason is, is because none of us ever see the hook. Me included. We never see the hook. All we see is the bait. No one says, I want to ruin my life today. But we live in a world where sin separates us. And and so many of the heartaches, so many of the places where we find ourselves today, we're here because we didn't see the hook. Because our parents didn't see the hook. Because our kids didn't see the hook. And and now now we're here. The devil understands our weaknesses and he exploits them for our destruction. And in this story, like, we get to see the, the, the depravity, the darkness of the devil. Because he wants us dead. He wants us to hate God and run from God. It's not just, like, you know, little things that he does to mess us up. So a couple weeks ago, uh, we had a work day at church, and it was supposed to be the hottest day of the year up to that point. At church, that's a building that we own at King's Canyon in Bergen. We're going to be there eventually. Every date that I've said has been wrong, so I'm just not going to say anything. And when we move, you'll know about it, and it'll be awesome. Uh, but we've got a place on the other side of GB3. So if you're driving down King's Canyon, first you pass SK Donuts. That's a great place because it's walking distance from our church, and donuts are amazing. Amen. Uh, so we got for the workday, and how else do you show love to somebody who's going to push a lawnmower for three hours than a donut? Uh, so I get there early because I want to have donuts ready when people are there, and I park my car at the building, hop the fence, walk over to SK Donuts, and I buy 24 donuts. It's like this much donuts. It weighs as much as I do. It's amazing. It's great. Uh, and I'm walking them back to the building. And the first store you pass on the way to the building uh, from SK Donuts is Sunnyside Bicycles. And seriously, it's 6 a.m. Nobody's at that store at 6 a.m. because it doesn't open until whatever time, I don't know, uh, except for Saturdays. And it was a Saturday. There's like 60 people who get there uh, and to, to ride bikes. And it's not like a leather biker gang. It's a spandex biker gang. Uh, and they're out there because they're going to go on a big group ride. And so there's, there's the person who's like explaining the route that they're going to walk. And then right behind the person is me, holding 24 donuts, trying to become invisible. Because the lady looks at me and she's like, pay no attention to the man with the donuts. I'm like, ah! <laughs> that's temptation right there. 30 miles on a stupid bicycle doesn't sound like that much fun. Coffee and a donut at 6 a.m., that's awesome. Nobody got off their bike to chase me. So all of them, they won. That's great. And there's, there's nothing wrong with Donuts. That's not where the devil is. The devil, what we're gonna see here is he picks on Jesus in his moment of need. He exploits his weakness. And that's what he does to you and me because he hates us and he represents all that is soulless and wrong. He wants to hook us. He wants us to ignore the bait or even just go after the bait so much that we miss the hook. And so what we're gonna look at today is, is kind of a sarcastic look at temptation. Uh, If you're like, I hate sarcasm, it's been really nice having you. Uh, Just to be honest, church will be over in about 20 minutes, and that might be the last time we see you, Um, but, or come back in November when Pastor Greg preaches, because he's really nice. Um, But we're going to look at how to get hooked in seven steps or less. So our goal today is go to 0 for 7. This is the chance where you get to walk out of church and say, I'm applying nothing that they talked about, Okay. The goal is to do the opposite, but we won't say that part. Uh, How to get hooked in seven steps or less. Seven steps or less. So here's the the situation, what's going on. We're going to be in Luke chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2. And we're going to walk through the story, and we're going to find how to get hooked in seven steps or less. How to ignore the bait, how to absolutely go for the hook, and to get carried away in seven steps or less. Then Jesus, who is full of the Holy Spirit, Returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the spirit in the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and he became very hungry. See, what I say is the devil is dark, he is depraved, and so he goes after the guy who hasn't eaten in 40 days. That's like hangry on steroids. He's like, I'm going after the person who hasn't eaten and is weak and is tired. And so the first step in getting hooked in seven days or less goes exactly over those things. It's to expect to never get hit. Get hit, that means never get hungry, never get isolated, never get tired. Think about the bad decisions you've made in your life and the things that you've opened the door to and then have come in and been much bigger. Like Edgar said last week, talking about region, our recovery ministry, that sin takes you farther than you want to go. It keeps you longer than you want to be there and it costs more than you want to pay. How many of those things happened when you were hungry? How many things happened when you were tired, either physically or just emotionally, just laid out? How many of those things happened when you were alone and no one could see? No one's going to know. This is just you and and whatever else is going on. You and her. I mean, no one's going to know. You and whatever, no one's going to know. So never expect to get hit. What Jesus is doing here is it, it's solitude. It's him being alone with God. This is him being strengthened because he's fasted for 40 days at this point. Fasting is a, a Christian's decision to postpone a physical feast, to experience a spiritual feast from God. It's something that actually we're in the middle of because we're praying toward our kickoff next week, praying it's gonna be an awesome day for our church because everyone and their dog is gonna invite someone to come with them and they're gonna meet Jesus and it's gonna be awesome. But Jesus right here is fasting and the devil's perspective, this looks like he's weak. Because he's had nothing for 40 days. In reality, he's strong because he's being filled with God's Spirit as he postpone, postpones a physical fast. And so he goes after him. He's tired, he's alone, and he's hungry. And for us, that's a lot of the basis about why we do Life Grapes. Right here, we're in the middle of five weeks that we're calling Connection Sunday because none of us are meant to do life on our own. Like, you understand, you can look at this and say, Ken, of course, I understand you're not meant to do life on your own. You're up here talking loudly, and you smile every single week, and you really like this part of your job. You're an extrovert. That's not for me. Honestly, I think this. I was thinking about this this week. I think I'm the most introverted person in my whole family, which says a lot about the rest of them, okay? But I think I'm the most introverted. And I can say this, that we all need to be connected, not just because of my own preference to be around other people, but because that's how God designed each and every one of us. We are built with a need for relationships. We're built, and the church is built, to be better in circles than it is in rows like this. And so I encourage you, as you head out today, we got Otter Pops because we want to give people the reason to stick around. And because Otter Pops are awesome uh, and and I encourage you, grab one as you as you head out, enjoy it, and sign up for a group. Look at the stuff. We've got a huge, wide range of stuff between guys' groups that meet really early in the morning uh, and a women's group that meets at like 7, 6.30 or something and does fitness uh, and eats a good meal together and then opens the Bible and talks about how that applies to their life. We've got a wide range of stuff that's age group specific, that's employment specific. I encourage you to look around at the groups uh, and sign up for one. You don't have to sign up for 18 which would be difficult because I think we we'll only have 14. Uh, but sign up for one, like take one step this week to get unisolated in your spiritual life. So step number one to, never, to getting hooked is to ex- never expect to get hit. Step number two is remember, you are unique, all right? Not just unique in the sense that God made you and knows absolutely everything about you, but unique in the sense that what God says to Jesus, what God says through Jesus about every single one of us, doesn't really apply to you. Let me explain, okay? Right before this, or right after this, we got right after verse 2, we got verse 3. It says, then the devil said to him, if you are the son of God. He said, if you are the son of God. Rewind the tape one page, we get to Jesus' baptism. This is where... Uh, this, is, this was the custom in their day where they would get baptized and say, I'm done with sin. Jesus was done with sin from the day that he was born. And so he's baptized. He's put in the water. He's pulled back up out of the water. And the heavens part and a dove comes down, symbolic of the Holy Spirit resting on him. And God says in an audible voice for everyone to hear, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And so what does the devil do? The devil comes to him and says, remember, you're unique. Are you really the son of God? like last page it's like you can read both of them just bouncing back from one to the other this is my son are you really the son of god are you really unique are you really the same as everybody else where god says that they love him and that forgiveness can be a real thing and new life can actually happen to you and the devil says i don't think you're unique or i don't think you're with that i think you are unique for us to get hooked we we remember that we're unique that we hear stories, we, we make a big deal about God's forgiveness, God's new life here on this stage. We have baptisms, we have normal people like you, not just people who get paid to talk, but somebody who's up here talking about how Jesus showed his love to them by forgiving them of their sins, and then they get baptized, and we build a whole church after the fact that Jesus can actually change lives. But that doesn't happen to you. That's not you. The devil's saying, remember that you are unique. Your identity is different than everybody else. And for all of us, identity determines biography. We put our hope, we put our identity in who God says that we are. God, understanding better than any of us will that each and every one of us, apart from Jesus, are sinners headed to hell. But when Jesus comes into our life, he changes us. He changes our identity. He changes our eternity. He changes our direction. He changes our biography. Say that we're no longer unique. We are a son of God. We are a daughter of God who, yes, struggles with sin, but has been blood-bought, redeemed, and sent on to heaven awaiting us as we live out this life for the glory of Jesus and the good of God's people. We're not unique in that. Our struggles are not unique. It's sin that Jesus came to die for, that Jesus came to destroy. And so step two in getting hooked is saying, you know what, I'm unique. God rebuilt that life, he'd never do that for me. Step three is to let your appetite run everything. So the devil says to him, if you're the son of God, which he is, turn this stone to become a loaf of bread. It's not like Jesus is, is gluten intolerant and he's going to get him this way. He said, no, you haven't eaten in 40 days. Let's make some bread. You've got a rock. Make that into bread. For us, like part of growing up is letting the Holy Spirit of self-control fill us. Because when we're babies and babies start to cry, the first thing that parents think is they must be hungry. So for us, when we start to cry at the age of 45, uh, hopefully the answer isn't you must be hungry. right? Because hopefully you grew out of that and you let your appetite not run everything anymore. I look at that and I think, man, this is, this is good that the Holy Spirit of self-control wants to fill me as a Christian. It's not something like, well, you have the gift of self-control. The way that the people who wrote in the Bible, the people that were inspired by God to write down everything they wrote, where it's like God is, is taking over their hands to write down the things that they have. He's saying, as you plant in the Holy Spirit, you're going to harvest. You're going to. It's fruit. It's not a gift. It's fruit. You're going to harvest love. You're going to harvest joy. You're going to harvest peace. You're going to harvest goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. I look at that in my own life. And think if I'm going to let my attitude run me and my appetites run me, I'm going to create a lot of death. And I'm going to create a lot of broken relationships behind me. But what Jesus says is when you're weak, that gives an opportunity for the fruit from me to come into your life, to change things and to set you apart. To give you a new life. To distance you from your old life because the Holy Spirit controls us to overwhelm our weakness. At church we have a thing that we call shape journals. It's it's our plan of reading the Bible and then journaling about how this book from thousands of years ago hits us at our address, at our place where we're reading it each day. Uh, and there's something in there yesterday uh, where a guy is talking about some physical limitations that he has that is turning his eyes to Jesus. He says the good news about this is, is that God tells me my power is made perfect in your weakness. Our weakness, our areas where we need God to come in, where our appetites are gonna run us into getting hooked, he said that God's power is perfect when we're running towards being hooked, but we don't want to be. Because when we're weak, when we say, I can't control this, that invites God's presence in to make us strong. He's not, when you're weak, I am strong. He says, when I'm weak, I'm actually strong because God comes in and He changes my appetites, He changed, changes my desires because God is stronger than I am and He's not going to let me get hooked when I feel like letting my appetites and attitudes run everything. Step number four is you use your Bible as a paperweight. You want to get hooked in life? Use your Bible as a paperweight. So the devil says to the guy who hasn't eaten in six weeks, he says, turn this rock into a loaf of bread. But Jesus tells him, I'm sorry, I'm not eating bread right now. No, he says, uh, he says no, the scriptures say, the scriptures say, he's referencing the Bible. The scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone he's quoting the bible there he's quoting a book called deuteronomy all right it's one of the flyover books at the very beginning of the bible Uh, people are made and you've got the plagues and then there are like some books that get in the way before some awesome battles and stuff happen and this is from one of the books that get in the way jesus knows this knows it by memory and the reason he knows it is so that he can use it as a tool of spiritual warfare when the devil comes at him think about it if you so you and i are there like we're reading this like we're here if the fate of the world and the salvation of all humanity determined on your ability to quote Deuteronomy, would we make it? Nope, not with me. So what are our challenges this year and this week? Uh, at our info table, we've got a bunch of these. these are, this is our verse for the year. It says, Limitless. And the verse is, As for me, uh, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interests in this world have been crucified, and the world's interest in me has also died. My challenge to you is to memorize that this week, okay? Our interest in this world has died with Jesus. That means that when temptation comes against us, we're already dead. We're living dead because our old life has been crucified with Jesus. I encourage you to memorize your Bible, to read your Bible, to let it be more than a paperweight because it's the book that God wrote for you. It's the story of redemption from the beginning of the world to the end of anything, uh, end of everything. Every page in here points to Jesus. It reminds us of the fact that you and I are not built for holiness on our own, but we need God. And it's so important that God wrote it down for us. I learned very early in marriage that my memory is terrible, uh, and so I have to write down everything. And if you'll notice, ever on a Sunday, I have a pen right here all the time uh, because I don't have my phone with me during service. It lives in my backpack, so that if it goes off for whatever reason, it stays in the backpack and never here on stage. Uh, and after service, I'm always the first one out the door because you guys are out there, and I'm going to meet you. And so if we set up a time to meet coffee this week, uh, I'm going to ask my digital assistant to like, put all this stuff down on paper, which means... Pen, hand, getting stuff done. You're so important to me that if we make plans for this week, I'm gonna write it down. And the Bible's the same way. It's a list, it's a a story of God's love for us and God's pursuit of us that's so important that God writes it down so that we can remember it, so that we can use it as a tool to fight the devil in our life and to avoid getting hooked. So, you wanna get hooked? Use your Bible as a paperweight. Number five. Concentrate on everything that you deserve. Concentrate on everything that you deserve. That's step number five on getting hooked. You're amazing. You deserve the world. So set your mind on that. It's going to be great. Verse five. Then the devil took Jesus up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give anyone I please. There's the bait. Like, Jesus deserves those things. That's not even a bad thing. It's it's what's going to be coming to Jesus anywhere. Anyway, that he's going to conquer sin, death, the devil, and he's going to be sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So the idea of ruling and controlling and and receiving glory from the whole world, like, that's already going to happen. That's the bait. And then there's the hook. I will give this all to you if you worship me. Most things in our, in our world that we're tempted with aren't bad things. Like God created food. So the temptation to overeat or undereat or, or use food as a way to soothe our, our pain, that's only bad when it gets put in a bad place. It's only idol worship when a good thing becomes a God thing because that's always a bad thing for us. Look at the temptation of money. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the hills also. He's a rich God. And what he wants to do is he wants us to turn our hearts through our finances to worship him. I mean, God created sex. And he's saying, I created that to exist in a relationship, in a marriage relationship, between one man and one woman and one marriage for one lifetime. And all the temptation in the world that's around that is wrong when it's misplaced outside of that relationship. And so the devil comes at Jesus with something that's good, something that's headed to him anyway, but is an opportunity for misplaced worship. And so Jesus responds. He says, the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Worshiping means trusting God with the outcome. It means that we trust God more than we trust ourselves, and it's trusting God to say, I- I'm okay if the money doesn't come in. I'm okay if the promotion doesn't come in. I'm okay if the relationship never happens. I'm okay if whatever, 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 because I have Jesus, because I have God. That's a worship statement. It's a worshipful statement to say, even if this stuff never happens, I'm going to continue to follow God. Say no to temptation. Say no to getting hooked because Jesus is better. You know, what if it goes sideways? What if we actually end up walking through the things, walking away from the things that we really want in life? Man, if we want to get hooked, we can always do number six, which is manipulate God so we get what we really want. We manipulate God so we get what we really want. We twist the things that he says and the places that he's put us so we can really honestly get what we want. Verse 9, then the devil took him to Jerusalem to the highest point of the temple. And he said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, he's saying two can play at this, right? You know your Bible. You know that Deuteronomy thingy. I can quote scripture too. He says, the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect and guard you and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Boom, verse, you can do it because God said yes in this one little part. It's not the Bible for worship at that point, it's the Bible for self-justification. And for all of us, temptation gets cut off when we realize that God's plan is better. When we realize that the things that we want are still in the hands of God where he can say yes, he can say no, and whatever he says is gonna be the good thing. So Jesus responds. He says, the scriptures also say you must not test the Lord your God. He's saying there is a throne. There is a throne in heaven where God sits and God is there and devil, you're not there. And for us today, we can also look at that and say that we're not there either. That you and I are not the ones sitting on the throne of our life. That when you become a Christian, here's, here's what it comes down to. You step off the throne of your own life. You put Jesus on the throne of your life, which means that there are going to be times where we say no because God says no and every other reason says yes. Everything else says yes, but God says no, or God says yes when everything else says no. It's a worship statement. We're recognizing God's authority. The devil took him to the top of the temple and he said, I'll give you authority over everything. And I think Jesus knew what was coming at this point and the devil didn't. Because Jesus knew that he was going to live, he was going to suffer, he was going to claim nothing that he deserved. But instead he was going to live like us, he was going to be tortured in place of us, and then he was going to rise for relationship with us, rise from the dead, walk out of his own grave, holding with him all authority in heaven and on earth. And so when Jesus is risen from the dead, he meets with his guys, and the last thing he says to them before he commissions the church, men and women, to go change the world The devil offered him at the very beginning, all authority if you worship me. And Jesus, who is risen from the dead, said, I already have all authority in heaven and on earth. Now go, make me look good. Be a church that extends my love all over the planet. The devil says, I'll give you authority. And Jesus says, I already have that authority. And that same God lives in each and every one of us. That we avoid getting hooked by saying, okay, God, you say that all authority on heaven and on earth is yours. I'm gonna experience that. I wanna see that happen as you unhook me from the things that I've hooked myself to. As you lead me to the life that I could never lead myself to. God, I wanna experience that. And that takes the power of God. That takes the love of God. And that takes us detaching ourselves from number seven. The way number seven to get hooked in seven steps or less is realize you're a failure and there is no escape forgiveness and new life were never meant for you. You want to get hooked, you put that into your mind every single day. You want to get unhooked, you take it out. Because verse 13 happens, then the devil who had tempted Jesus three times, he finished and he left him until the next opportunity came. There's victory there. There's victory for Jesus who did what we could not do, who, fit, who succeeded where we have failed so many times. And there's joy in here for, it, for us in a, ver- in a word that I think is so easy to miss. The devil leaves him until another opportunity comes. I read that for us today. I read that for us as a church of people who are running, doing our best to run from temptation. Even if we don't know what that looks like for us, because seriously, we've been doing this thing for like an hour and we don't know what it is to follow Jesus. The good news here is it says, until another opportunity comes, which means that you and I have an opportunity to live in victory, to follow Jesus, to say yes to following him in every area where we have said no, to run from the hook, to run from the bait, to run to him, to run to a new life, because there will be another opportunity. All right? I don't know what your life is like now. I don't know the darkness that you're running from today. But you're not dead, so it's not done. The fight is not over. All right. We're a church of people who have been blood. If you're a Christian here, you've been blood bought by the Lord who loves you. Jesus put on skin and came to you because He knows, like all of us know, that there will be another opportunity. That there will be another opportunity for say for us to say yes following jesus us to say no to following temptation us to say forget the bait forget the hook i'm running to jesus and i want to find freedom let's stand and pray